Faith Science Podcast. My name is Tyler Bublitz, and welcome back to the 12th Sunday after Pentecost for the week of August 28th, 2022, and I'm excited to have you here. I'm excited to dig into this week's podcast, and I'm excited just because of the question that we had last week, I felt was a really good question just to be thinking about and considering in general, is thinking about how are we renewed? So the question I had for last week, which was, are you ready to be renewed? Also, are you ready for the change that renewing is going to cause? This is something I feel like within our lives, within our world, there's a lot of examples of this. If you look at how we're having states moving more and more toward the electrification of vehicles, as we're moving more and more into renewable energy sources, as we are moving into with even in church culture, looking at how we have done this in-person model and how do we incorporate a hybrid and making sure that you're doing some virtual ministry within that. These are all changes that are going to renew things in a good way, but it means that in the midst, in the challenge, in that transition, it can get really murky for a while. It can be very difficult for us to find those places. And so it's one of those things that I think is really challenging and good. And one of the examples that I got this week was someone re-looking at bicycling and how we can use that as a form of transportation. And I know for myself, it's something that I have done more a couple of years back. And I think even if you go back a few years in the podcast, you'll find me talking about that. But this idea of how bicycling is renewing. It's the renewing of passions, renewing of finding the beauty of having the air rush through your hair as you are pedaling along. These are all exciting things that all can be happening. And it's something that I think as we are continuing to move along, as we are continuing to look at what is going on all with climate, we are going to have to be renewing and being able to renew our vision on how we have done things and be open to new ideas or going back to old ideas, just looking at them in a new way. So let's just jump into the text this week because we have a lot of them actually to be able to get through. So let's just jump into it. The first reading would be out of Jeremiah chapter 2 verses 4 to 13. This is a text of recognizing that Jeremiah now is preaching to the people of Israel. He kind of introduced himself a little bit last week and is recognizing where the ancestors have come from, that they have been delivered out of these different things, but yet how often the people have still decided to go their own way. And it's the reminder of how many times that God has continued to provide for them, has continued to make a way for them, and yet they still turn about face and went their own way and went to look for these other rulers that were being perceived as doing well and yet then they were incorporating and bringing in other gods and thus this is where things were shaken up and things were then dismayed within the people and it's then this foundation of how we are elevating ourselves and looking at what we see instead of what God sees is the problem being here. The psalm that goes along with that is Psalm 81 verse 1 and 10 through 16. And this, I think the first line gives a lot of 
power is sing aloud to God our strength, shout for joy to the God of Jacob, and then recognizing how God has continued to do all these things. He has brought them out of the land of Egypt and that in doing that, we should be subduing ourselves to the Lord, that this is something that God has continued to provide for us and has continued to do for us. So then why wouldn't we be willing to do the same? Why are we so against this in a lot of ways that we have our own pride get in the way of where God is trying to lead us? So the next text is actually out of the Apocrypha, and it's one of the alternative readings this week is from Sirach, chapter 10, verses 12 to 18. Before we get into the actually what the text is, I feel like we have to give a little bit of context here. So Sirach is part of the Apocrypha. It's a group of books that are not in the Protestant canon of the Bible. They are more in the Catholic canon of the Bible. And Sirach in particular is kind of an interesting text. First and foremost, one of the things on why it wasn't included in the canon is the only manuscripts that we have of it are in Greek. But if you look at the preface, the preface is made by the grandson of the person who wrote it, who happened to be named Jesus, and it's Jesus of Sirach, which is why it's named Sirach. And that's in that he is stating that he is translating it into Greek, which at this point, the people were really enthralled with the philosophies of the Greek culture. So this is why then it was being brought into Greek. And so thus, and then it was later retranslated back into Hebrew. So being that it's not originally from the Hebrew, this is why it wasn't included in a lot of the Protestant religions canon. So in doing that, then we have this text. And this is, I think, a great text to kind of be playing with, especially with where we're going to be going. And it's talking about how our human pride can put ourselves ahead of where God is and thus this causing kind of this disruption. This is the sin that actually that we have within us, that it then puts the Lord at a lower place and elevates us. And in doing that, it makes it, and in doing that, it makes so that we forget what God has actually done for us. And in doing that, then we continue to elevate ourselves and put God lower. And it's this reminder in this text of yet again, that God is the one who is doing all this, and it's us who keep elevating ourselves to these higher levels. The final alternative first reading is from Proverbs chapter 25, verses 6 and 7, and I'm just going to read these for you. Do not put yourself forward in the king's presence or stand in the place of the great, for it is better to be told, come up here, than to be put lower in the presence of a noble. This idea of, again, humbling ourselves in front of the Lord or in someone of leadership so that we can be elevated instead of being told to go down. The psalm that goes with that is Psalm 112, and this, again, is recognizing why we should be thankful to God. The ways that God continues to bless and work with people and is continuing to move us in the right direction in that we are continuing to remember what God has done. 
And the ones that are rebellious, that's where God then steps in and is more angry, and thus we get more of this disruption. And that's this whole constant interplay we keep having throughout this week. The second reading is out of Hebrews chapter 13, verses 1 to 8 and 15 and 16. And this is then continuing that theme, and I think in a lot of ways, verse 1 sets it off really well. Let mutual love continue. This idea of that we are honoring God in this. And I know verse four, for a lot of people, this can be a very difficult text, especially depending on your faith tradition. Let marriage be held in honor by all. Let the marriage bed be kept undefiled for God will judge fornicators and adulterers. But this idea of, again, that the love that we are having here, it's three people, the two people plus God in that and trying to keep that sacredness in this and recognizing that it's God who is continuing to provide. And as it states even in verse 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. This idea of how we're re-understanding and understanding more and more the complexity of who God is, but the character of who God is is the same. It's just that our understanding continues to grow. And in doing that, we are then able to more understand the sacrifices and different things that God has done, which allows us to be able to move forward into better repenting, but also giving praise to God. The gospel text this week is out of Luke chapter 14, verse 1 and 7 through 14. So this is a text where we're being dropped in is Jesus being invited with the leaders of the Pharisees to have a meal on the Sabbath. He's being watched closely. The verses 2 through 6 are kind of talking a little bit more about the meal and what's all going on. And while there, Jesus then addresses the people there and he gives this parable of talking about being invited to a wedding banquet and not putting yourself in a place of honor immediately, for it is better to be kind of be told to be brought up, similar to like what the parable is saying, than being told to move down so that someone else can be exalted. And Jesus then kind of continues in verse 12. He said, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors in case they may invite you in return, that you would be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and those who will be blessed and cannot repay you, for you will be repaid in the resurrection of the righteous. This idea of looking beyond yourself, being able to look beyond your own pride, being able to look instead of elevating those who continually are elevated to elevate people who maybe aren't elevated often and looking for those who maybe can't repay you and seeing that as a way of giving thanks. And so before we jump into how faith and science come together this week with your shameless plug, oh, Working Preacher, if you haven't checked out Working Preacher, I'd highly recommend it between the Sermon Brainwaves podcast, their commentaries, their discussions. Since I'm not an ordained minister, I use them on a weekly basis to be able to not only look at their commentaries and their podcasts, but a lot of the other discussions that's going on over there. So if you haven't checked out workingpreacher.org, I'd highly recommend that. I'd also highly recommend checking out the Revised Common Lectionary coming from Vanderbilt's Divinity Library. I really enjoy how they lay out all the text week after week after week, but I also really enjoy their different ideas on being able to look at how different people interpret art. There's hymns there that potentially can get into the depths of what's going on, or even prayers. So if you haven't checked out the Revised Common Lectionary coming from Vanderbilt's Divinity Library, I'd highly recommend that also. 
The theme that I saw this week, especially as you're going through these texts, is this continued idea of humbling oneself, humbling oneself, humbling oneself, humbling oneself. And how do you actually do that? And especially when we're trying to look at it from a science context, that can be very difficult. One of the jokes that I often made when I was in college as a biology major was there was three different types of biology students. The crazy pre-med students, the normal pre-med students, and everybody else. And what I meant by that was there was the crazy pre-med students who wanted to know absolutely everything about everything. And so once you got into like ecology or where you get more concept biology, they really struggled. But their whole idea was they were going to go and set the world on fire. And that was their whole goal. Then you had the normal pre-med students who were still in their own right, some type of crazy to be a pre-med student. But again, we're more recognizing that we're all in this together. It's going to take an army to be able to do this. And then there was the students who weren't looking at going into a medical degree, who are looking at doing more different types of biology other than pre-med. And I was initially looking at doing that myself. And one of the things that I would always state was I wanted to be able to go and discover the things that someone else was going to take credit for and make a way more money than I ever will. And this is something that's repeated a lot in science, that it's not typically the person who actually discovers the thing that gets the vast amount of credit or especially doesn't necessarily get the inheritance of wealth that comes with that typically. It's typically that someone's discovering and working on something and maybe puts it in notes or something and says this should be looked at further and then someone else has the time and resources as this person continues on trying to discover things about the world that they discover this or take this research, develop it out further and are able to bring it to another level. And we've seen that in multiple cases and I feel like this week we really have one that we need to elevate a little bit more and talk about this. And the person this week is Charles Goodyear. And when I say the name Goodyear, you probably immediately think of the tire company, at least here in the United States. And that is true, but Charles Goodyear has absolutely nothing to do with Goodyear tires and yet has everything to do with Goodyear tires. So let me explain. Charles Goodyear, born into a semi-wealthy family in 1800, and he's kind of in the New England area, New Haven area, and after seeing his father be semi-successful with business, he goes and does some different entrepreneurial ventures, and at least at the beginning of his career, seems to be semi-successful slowly building some things out until everything kind of comes crashing down. And especially there was just things that were going on. So Charles Goodyear decides that this is the time then for him to having been introduced into rubber to go in and try to innovate rubber. So rubber had been something that had been worked on and had been tinkered around with and seen the possibilities of natural latex coming from a sap of a tree in South America, being able to then make these waterproof things. But there was a couple different problems. One, it smelled. Two, if it froze, it just broke apart. And three, if it got warm, it became sticky. And so suddenly things were sticking together. 
Charles Goodyear, over time, suddenly came up with this idea that he was getting this mission from God that was him to help figure this out. In doing this over the next 20 years of his life, he goes through multiple deaths of children. He goes through multiple different ailments that put him in difficult situations as he's continuing to try to work with this rubber that isn't new but just isn't as good as it should be and people are trying to make it waterproof but yet it still has this terrible odor and after working with it for five years and continuing to have times where he is going into prison because he can't pay his debts and then gets bailed out and having investors come in and help him through different crises he finally meets a person named nathaniel hayward And together, and there's a lot of rumors on exactly how this all worked, they took rubber, added sulfur, and put it in heat. And this was the beginning of vulcanization of rubber, which then gives it the pliability that you want through a variety of temperature zones, thus being able to make it so that it's a product that could be utilized in multiple different things, making it stronger, more durable, especially as it adds heat. It doesn't get sticky and it doesn't freeze out and just crumble like before. So in 1839, upon figuring this out with Hayward, they get the patent, which then runs into another problem. Because if you're from the UK, you probably don't recognize this as Goodyear's process. You probably heard it from Thomas Hancock. Thomas Hancock, around the same time as Goodyear had been kind of messing around and really perfecting the technique, had sent the stuff in to be in the UK in the early 1840s, and Hancock beat him by about two weeks, which led into legal battles, which they ruled in Hancock's favor, and Goodyear was out of luck. Throughout his whole life, Goodyear just constantly kept having problems, and in fact, When he goes to see again in 1860, one of his daughters who is sick, he finds that she had just passed away upon when he gets there, he collapses and dies himself at age 59. And the quote, though, that I found with Goodyear that I think is very interesting is, life should be not estimated excessively by standard dollars and cents. I am not disposed to complain that I have planted and others have granted their fruits. I'm a man that has cause for regret only when he sows and no one reaps. So the idea that he was continuing to just throw down seed and potentially something would grow even if he didn't gather the fruit and was thinking that that was better than necessarily planting and being able to gain the reap and the reward of what he did. This man never saw the real fruit of what he did in a lot of ways because of his vulcanization process of rubber allowed for what we continue to see as the industrial revolution actually happen and rubber becoming a major part of how we use our things in our day-to-day lives. And thus, the Goodyear Tire Company in 1898 decided to name it after Charles Goodyear. 
This to me was actually very fascinating because it let me into kind of a rabbit hole. As I kind of talked about a little bit last week, I had just recently did a trip to the Columbus, Ohio, Akron, where Goodyear Tire is from, Akron, Ohio area. And while I was there, there was someone talking about the Stan Hewitt Halls and Gardens. And I'm like, what the heck is this? And he was talking about how it's one of the largest houses in the country and one of the biggest in Ohio, standing at 64,500 square feet. And that this was constructed under France Sieberling was the person who constructed this mass building. And I'd never heard of it. And then he stated, have you heard of Goodyear Tire Company? This to me was just fascinating that again, it's he didn't take the credit, even though he built this empire that has long outlived him, as we all, at least here in the United States, have heard of Goodyear tires. But yet having the humbleness to actually recognize the scientist who actually created the process to be able to make tires. See, tires as rubber was before, as we kind of discussed, the properties that it had would not have worked well for tires. It was the vulcanization process that Charles Goodyear had created that actually led to making a company of tires. And the funny thing that I actually found just on a complete aside is studying these families. One of the Goodyear, so Charles Goodyear relatives, has a long-lasting legacy also. Charles Goodyear Jr., if you've ever heard of Goodyear Welted Shoes, he is the person that came up with that process. And Franz Sieberling, his family, was actually credited with being part of the foundation of kind of getting together Alcoholics Anonymous, or AA, which, again, was also founded in Akron. And what I find interesting about both of these is, yet again, these are things where they have long-lasting legacies. Now, Goodyear Welted Construction, I guess, kept the Goodyear name. But when you think of, like, AA, how would you ever know that it was from the Sieberling family? It was their mother-in-law and his wife kind of working together with some doctors to kind of lay the beginning foundations of AA. As I was thinking about this and what I know of companies, so many companies and so many things were so used to naming it after people. Harley Davidson being named after a man's last name of Harley and a man's last name of Davidson coming together to make the motorcycle company. When we think of General Mills as a similar type of thing, how many companies that we know this by? And there's one other one where I can think where they're paying homage to the actual scientist who allowed for this to happen. That's another modern company, and that would be Tesla. As we've talked about time and time again with this, that Tesla kind of came up with the electric motor and how to do this along with figuring out how to do alternating current and it was a man really ahead of his time. And that's where when Elon Musk was going to open this up, decided that this was a, a tribute to the person who actually invented the technology that was going to drive their vehicles. I find this really interesting. And if anyone knows of any other companies that are like this, I would be fascinated to hear and just know what some of these are. Because especially as a person who's been raised in the sciences and has done things in the sciences, we know that a lot of times when those names go on papers, they're good within the science circles, but they aren't necessarily good to the general public. 
that someone else is going to take that technology and probably run with it much further than we were able to because we have bills to pay or other things to discover. And thus being lost somewhat to history and being looking at how Goodyear Tire was then representing Charles Goodyear being able to actually invent the vulcanization process to be able to make their company and Elon Musk doing the similar type of thing with Tesla, I think is actually really interesting. And I think in a lot of ways really exemplifies this because both men, both Nikola Tesla and Charles Goodyear had tons of debt. In fact, I found in the article about Charles Goodyear that he died with $200,000 in debt, which is the equivalent to about $5 million in 2015. This, to me, is kind of this whole idea of, again, when we've talked about it with Tesla in podcasts before, that he didn't exactly die with a ton of income either. But yet here, at least they're being memorialized, giving the idea to be able to at least know the last name, to look up the last name and potentially stumble across these stories of these amazing people who did amazing work. Being able to find that rubber with sulfur and adding heat created this amazing substance. And yes, maybe it smelled a little bit like sulfur and they would have to figure that out, but it was better than what they had had before that. And yet here after death are getting elevated, are getting recognized, saying, no, it's not my doing, but it's built upon the work that you have done. And so thus you should be recognized on what you have done. And I think in a lot of ways, this perfectly exemplifies what Jesus is talking about. Within the culture that we have today, so much of it is about exemplifying the self. How often we are hearing about in the world that you have to make your own brand. Even looking into college athletics and through the NIL deals of trying to create where student athletes can profit off of their likeness. And some have done that really well. Some have also figured out ways to be able to elevate some of their teammates who aren't necessarily getting recognized right away to be making sure that that wealth is being able to be shared with all of them. I'll attach a video talking about it down below if you're not as familiar with what has been going on in college sports that way. But it's this idea, I think, of how often our own pride gets in the way. And yet the people who I find most admirable in science are a lot of the people that you don't necessarily know their names. You don't know their names because they kept looking, they kept going, they kept trying to figure things out. And they said, yes, this is something that probably needs further research, but I have other interests and I'm going to keep going. And I've given this to the world for someone else to go further with it. I've done the first major step of figuring something out. Someone else can take it to the next level on what maybe the practical application of some of this stuff is. Do we as people spend enough time humbling ourselves to be able to look upon the bricks of people who have built us to the people that we are? The privileges and different avenues that we are able to live through? Do we look down enough to be able to see the people who haven't been given those privileges and be able to elevate them up with us? And not trying to necessarily for us to be grabbing higher at the same moment, but instead be reaching down to pull them up to us. To me, because that's when I'm looking at those last two verses in the gospel text of looking at inviting the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind 
to the banquet is recognizing that those are the ones that aren't getting recognized? Are you making sure that the ones aren't being overlooked? It's the beautiful thing within science is that it does build upon itself. The struggle is, is it doesn't often look back far enough to be able to recognize the people who have. In the scientific paperwork it does, but especially who knows in the public eye, doesn't necessarily translate. It's our own human nature that kind of causes us to fall. It's the recognition at some point that we'd have to acknowledge that God is the one who is actually working through us to be able to do this work. It's the recognition at some point that we aren't able to do this without somehow someone pouring into us, but also God giving us the abilities to be able to do these different things. And how often in our own lives do we like taking the credit? We like being acknowledged. We like being seen. But also at what point should we recognize that God already sees us and we don't need to be searching for that? So the question I have for you this week is twofold. One, do you know of any other companies that recognize the person who allowed that business to happen? And two, do you allow yourself to be humbled enough to recognize those who made you the person that you are and pull people up who need to be recognized? I think in our day-to-day lives, it's easy for us to take a lot of credit. But in the world in which we're in, the church in which we're in, We really shouldn't be looking to just go and give people credit. What we need to be doing is working together and recognizing that we did this and that God is blessing the situation. At least here in the United States, as we are becoming more and more individualistic, the difficult thing is is we need to recognize that it's the collective group when it's working together that makes things work best. That's one of the things that I really like about this Goodyear story. That's one of the things that I really like about the Tesla story is recognizing people who didn't necessarily get recognized in their time. And yet, it causes us to have a discussion to recognize who they are. And maybe as we are learning from history, we can work on recognizing that earlier instead of later. So, we'll wrap this up as we always do. I pray God blesses you through your faith and amazes you through science.